Everyone, I've got an announcement that I need to put out the front of this episode, and I'll be doing a few in the coming episodes as well. Uh, nothing worrying, just uh, something that I would like to do towards the end of this year, and I just wanted to let you guys know all about it. So what I'm going to do is, I don't know if you've remembered from last season when I did the 2020 season wrap, and we did... Uh, we tried to recreate the 2020 season and, and you know, crown a new champion as we did and congratulations to South Sydney who ended up winning that. Uh, but we're going to do a little bit, something a little bit different. It's going to be a similar to a season wrap, but what I'm going to do is we're going to select a, a year at random and what I'm then going to do is invite uh, for every club that competed in that season, invite a representative for that club so one of you guys out there is fans uh, similar to when I did the irrational mergers but this time what you're going to have to be doing is selecting to change the result for your team so one of the losses that your team had during that season uh, you're going to be able to change that in the regular season and what I'm going to do is just go through the season maybe not round by round but for every round that there is something that's changed uh, I'll invite the person on to have a chat about you know, why they decided to make that change for that particular game. And then what we're basically going to do is get to the end of the season, have a, an updated table for all these different results, uh, and then we're going to have a final series with the you know top five, top eight, which, whichever season that it ends up being, whether it's that sort of system. Just not to, to go too far into it, but what we're hopefully going to try and do is have everyone, maybe not everyone at the same time, but the two combatants competing with each other for each game in a trivia contest. Uh, and the winner wins the game and goes on to the next game of the finals. And then we'll have a, you know, probably on the same day, have a grand final. Uh, and yes, yeah, if who whether we can make a change to one of these seasons. So the way that we're going to select the season is I've put together a spreadsheet that put there's 64 seasons so I'm not including the Super League season in 1997 because that's going to be too hard to do uh, but we are going to do all the seasons from 1954 to 2018 go into categories so that's as I said there's 64 of them uh, I'm going to be asking guests coming up to select a number between one and four uh, so what I've done is, for the first where there's 64 of them, I've put 16 into each of the groups, and those 16 years will get selected. Then those 16 get put into pools of four, and we go and go until we get to the last four, and then someone will select, you know, one, two, three, or four, and that will be the that'll be the season we select. So that way it's someone else selecting it all the way through. We'll see what season we come up with. Once we know what that season is, I'll then invite you... You know, whoever wants to represent whatever team to message me and let me know and we'll set something up for a bit later in the year. But I just thought it might be a, a nice fun sort of thing to do, similar to what I did with Irrational Mergers where I get to chat to fans of all different teams, except this time I'm not making your team merge with anyone. I'm trying to improve the season that they would have had for whichever season this is. Um, feel free to be as tactical as you like when you select what game you want to win feel free to try and take a game off the eventual premiers because we'll know what year that is feel free to exact revenge on your greatest rivals if you like or just 
pick any game you want. Uh, but yeah, look, it's it should be it's a little bit like a tactical thing, but it also will be you know towards the end it's going to be the skill of being able to get trivia questions. I'll have trivia questions about your club and probably about that year. And uh, yeah, well, hopefully this all works out how I want it to work out. And uh, I'll talk next time and just let you know what uh, the first 16 years that we've selected. And uh, we'll go from there. All right, thanks. My name's David and this is The Hypothetic RL, a podcast about the what-ifs of rugby league history. Joining me for this podcast is Rami Haider. Uh, Rami is well known as the NRL economist. Uh, I'm not sure if he still goes by that title, but uh, obviously um, a freelance journalist doing a lot of work with Wildwater Sports. And uh, Rami, you've just been named the innovation consultant for the Manly Seagulls. Uh, yes, I have. Very excited with the challenge ahead. Yeah, it should be. Um, I I know that you got that job a, a little while ago, and uh, you kind of went missing uh, from everyone's feed for a while because you must have been really busy. Yeah, absolutely. There's been quite a lot um, on the agenda. Uh, so the role entails both commercial and football operations. Mm-hmm. So it's generally just about sort of generating ideas for the club, and um, yeah, just working with a lot of the different stakeholders. That sounds really cool. Well. I, we won't go too much more into it. I think a lot of people will know who you are from from what they've read, like all the articles you've done in the past. And obviously, you know, by the title, NRL Economist, you deal with a lot of uh, stats and data and figures like that. Uh, that's why I've got you on for this one. This one's going to be fairly stat heavy, but I'm going to try and uh, economist the economist if I can. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's see how we go. So uh, I think probably the best thing is to get what get to what the uh, subject is for today. So what we're going to talk about is the 1992 uh, report called the Bradley Report, which the New South Wales Rugby League commissioned, received on, I think it was in April of 1992. Uh, how much do you know about the, the Bradley Report? I know I'm putting you on the spot because you didn't get a chance to read through it, but how much have you read about it before? Yeah, so essentially it was just a, a report that kind of entailed the importance of, you know, rationalising the amount of teams in Sydney, getting a, a good gauge as to whether, you know, there needed to be a cull, so mm-hmm. to speak. But uh, look, the Bradley report, I think it has quite a big reputation in rugby league because yeah. it gained a lot of notoriety, obviously, just prior to the Super League. But, uh, you know, Historically, rugby league's had so many various reports that have been commissioned by the various kind of people running the game. And, yeah. you know, it just seems as though the Bradley report is one that most people focus on, but there's quite a few others. Yeah, well, there is. I, I was just doing a little bit of research. So this probably leads us into a bit of the history behind this Bradley report. And I, I found a, a, it was a, one of WordPress article, and it was talking about the different times that the New South Wales Rugby League tried to actually have these kind of reports tried to uh, for want of a better to, to amalgamate or to, to bring their numbers down in Sydney and I didn't know about a lot of these but you know there's one mentioned here in 1973 they were talking about trying to amalgamate and go down from 12 Sydney clubs to six so it's been on the agenda for a long long time and even after this Bradley report I heard the other day there's a there was another one that it was at 
uh, Kerrigan or something or Carriage. Ker- it's Carriage Report. I heard it on yeah. the on the Rugby League Digest for talking about it. So it, it just seems like you know through this whole period, probably right from back in the you know the early eighties, the seventies and early eighties, right through to when Super League happened, they were always looking to try and reduce number of Sydney teams. And I think if you talk to a lot of people nowadays, that we're still there's still a lot of feeling like there's too many teams in Sydney. Look, I have to kind of disagree with yeah. that viewpoint. No. You know, in, in the sense that I, I don't disagree with you that you know there's that feeling that's out there. Absolutely, yeah. it's out there. But I disagree with the um, the thinking behind it because the idea is that Sydney's saturated with too many teams. Well, you know that saturation can actually have a positive effect. Mm-hmm. So. The idea is about growing the game, getting more fans involved, and that doesn't have to be based on geography. So you see, so you can have a fan that's you know supporting the likes of the Dragons or Tigers that's living in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing to stop them supporting the team, and there's various ways to support a team. It's not just through traditional hard memberships. You can have soft memberships, yeah. right? And you can be following a team, you know, via social media. In fact, I had a, an article that came out recently, kind of you know endorsing the great work that Andrew Abdo's done leading the NRL. To the degree where now there's more social media followers of rugby league teams combined than the AFL, and and that's not a bad kind of result when you consider that the AFL has two extra clubs. Yeah, so, definitely. You know, the idea is that when you have these, you know, nine Sydney teams, they're, they're in a sense uh, forming a bit of a cluster. They're clustering together in this city of Sydney. Mm-hmm. You know, a city that's you know no less than five million, and the capacity to hold these teams within the city and be able to kind of um, you know, generate interest in other regions. Um, I, I think it's 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 possible, right? So we need to shift our thinking uh, when it comes to teams and their capacity and ability to you know maintain and, and and be viable in a city and change it from a geography, from a geographical sense to a demographic sense. And you know, you don't have to be in a particular geographical location. It's it's more about your capacity to connect with fans across the entire nation that's that's a very interesting point of view and i you know like i'm not going to disagree with that that makes that makes perfect sense so you know i I must admit that i always thought there were too many teams but i know that back in the 90s when we're talking about this period the population of sydney was also a lot less too so you know i feel like you know, 11 teams in the population of wherever Sydney was in, like, 1992 is a lot different than nine teams in the population that Sydney has now. And like you said, you know, there was moves, definitely moves by teams like the Bulldogs and the Tigers to try and shed their, you know, their suburban nicknames. And I, I remember there was a certain period in the in the early 2000s when the Bulldog, the Canterbury Bulldogs were just called the Bulldogs. Like they didn't they they dropped the Canterbury completely for a few years there. And I think the idea of that was to try and encourage people who weren't from that local district to to be supporters of just a a brand name rather than supporters of a, a suburb. Yeah, and and that thinking is still alive today. You know, the majority of teams they're pushing their brand name. The brand is everything, and the brand you know usually revolves around your your team mascot, the team colours, and what they stand for, not the actual geographic location of the particular team. So to be frank, the Bulldogs, um, you know, they try to you know adopt. Uh, you know, the Sydney Bulldogs name for a little while. Yeah. Then they switch to, as you said earlier, you know, the Bulldogs as a brand name itself. And they've reverted back now to Canterbury Bulldogs. But realistically, whether the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs, Canterbury Bulldogs, Sydney Bulldogs, whatever you want to call them, 
the majority of fans, they identify them by their colours, by their mascot, and by what the team supposedly stands for, not their actual geographical location, which, which mind you, um, you know, the Canterbury Bankstown Council is actually a large council in Australia, and it's a significant population. Um, I can't tell you off the top of my, my head what the figure is, but I think we're talking about 400,000 plus. It's yeah. significant. You know, it's larger than Tasmania. So. Well, I'm very disappointed in you, Rami, because I, you know, these figures that you come up with every time I hear you on a podcast, I just thought you had them right in the back of your head. You could just pull it out from anywhere you need you needed to. <laughs> well, I, I was not prepared. Okay, no, that's fine. That's okay. We 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 started off talking Bradley Report. We've ended up talking about the population of Canterbury Council. So, um, I can un- I can understand why you've been prepared. I'm only having a joke with you. It's fine. So. What we go, what we need to do is basically the premise of this podcast, as we talk, we've talked about, is that uh, we need to find an event and we need to make a change to it. So obviously the Bradley Report happens. the The biggest thing that happens right after the Bradley Report is the New South Wales Rugby League. I think they considered. I know they sent some things to clubs talking about this, but they really didn't act instantly. They, I think they take took consideration and then thought we will eventually get to this. Uh, and then you had this whole situation with the Super League war and obviously the loyalty agreements that were signed that pretty much hamstrung them from, from being able to exclude clubs. Um, you know, So what, what we have to say for this is that the New South Wales Rugby League receives this report and, well, I mean, for one of a better word, acts instantly and says, all right, well, in this report it says that we need to reduce these number of Sydney teams. Um, the report actually says to reduce to five Sydney teams, and but I think that's probably a little bit insane. I think you could probably say reduce from 11 down to seven, maybe. Maybe they would have gone, we want a 16-team competition. Um, we're going to bring four teams in from, from outside of Sydney, those four expansion teams we got in 95. Um, so I'm believing that what they probably would have done is they would have said, well, we have to reduce them now in teams by four so that we can add these teams and we, we end up with the same 16 we have now so um, that's what I'm going to propose only because if we re- reduce it down to five uh, it's going to get very very messy and I don't want to go too much into it so what do you think of what do you think if they had gone to the clubs and said you've got four years or three years basically to get your books in order and be the best best of the best and um, you can make it or you can relocate somewhere and, and, and make it that way? I think it, it would always come down to the, the way the message was communicated. Yeah. So you've got option A, which they say, you know, directly, um, we've arbitrarily chosen these four teams and they've got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there would have been court action ensuing and, you know, a lot of backlash, as we saw, you know, with the Rabbitohs yeah. um, and what happened with them. So my, my kind of perspective is that, they would offer them a carrot and say, well, look, we're going to take the top seven clubs. We're going to, you know, uh, be removing the teams which come in the last four places. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing is you're giving these clubs an opportunity and hope. And that idea and concept of hope would drive the clubs to want to kind of be a part of it mm-hmm. and rather than kind of, you know, uh, challenge the authorities, so to speak. So yeah. I, I think that they go for it and that they you know, each club would actually believe, you know, that they have the commercial now, so they've got the football um, operation side of things, you know, in tune. They're a well-oiled machine and that they're going to be successful and part of the, you know, the future competition. Yeah, and I suppose what they could do is basically say, we have 
seven franchises that are being going to be awarded amongst the eleven of you, and you know if they could if they could also say look a relocation out of Sydney or a relocation out of New South Wales might have like would be looked upon favourably. Or, you know, because I don't know if they could instantly say, look, if you really relocate out of Sydney, that you're instantly in. But uh, they might be able to put a little bit of carrot in that way as well. You know, we've got in the background, you've got four clubs waiting to be created, which is, you know, the Auckland Warriors, the Western Reds, the South Queensland Crushers and the North Queensland Cowboys. Um, there's opportunity that they could say, well, you know, maybe not all four of them will be instituted if if say one of the clubs decided that they wanted to move to Perth and they may they may take them as a as a rival bidder to the Perth uh, or the Western Reds you know maybe something like that could happen yeah i think when it comes to relocation the majority of the sydney clubs would always go the half-hearted option of thinking oh yeah we'll go to the central coast <laughs> yeah, the central coast with all due respect to you know all the residents of that region um, it, it's it's a glorified little town yeah. um, in terms of the financial clout and, you know, the transnational corporations and, you know, the big business uh, and the town, it, it's just, it's non-existent there, okay? Um, mm-hmm. I understand there's a couple of, you know, millionaires that kind of run the joint, um, i.e. John Singleton, but yep. realistically, you're not going to get that corporate support that's going to be able to sustain the team long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, even even if the population there might be slightly larger than one of you know, our suburban teams' populations that are here, Mm. Uh, the idea is that being located in Sydney it gives you access and it gives you those connections to the high end of town. And and realistically, you know, in the modern day, also the modern day, even from the nineties, um, you know, it's it's the corporates that drive the monetization of the of the um, rugby league clubs. Yeah, no, very true. So, I mean, I hate to see any clubs die. So that's the only reason why I think, you know, offering them the the opportunity for for relocation out of New South Wales or, you know, I see, I think if you made the relocation, you said, look, if you're going to relocate and you put in central coast is your option, we're still going to assess you as a Sydney club. So you're still going to have to, you know, be one of the best in this criteria. Um, but if you move yourself to, you know, a capital city elsewhere in Australia or whatever they decide to do, um, maybe there's some dispensation for that i, I don't know I, I i think yeah i think that might be the way to go and you know during the 90s i did do a little bit of of look at uh in this time period so basically the time period that i've selected for the criteria just to make it as fair as i could uh i selected between 1991 and 1994 and i know the bradley report comes out after 1991 but it gives me the best opportunity so that i can give them a good solid amount of time that it's not just based on on-field results because a lot of this, you know, a lot of ebb and flow in these seasons, some of these teams are, you know, aren't doing well financially because they're not doing well on the field. And so you give them as much opportunity as you can. You can't assess them over one or two seasons. You've got to give them as much as you can. So I sort of looked over 1991 to 94 and, and had a look if anyone had decided to move their home games to, to other locations. Um, and it was interesting that, Amongst the clubs that that decided to not to just keep playing in their own were were Balmain, Cronulla, South and West. And I don't know if you sort of remember this time period, but I know that you know those are probably four of the clubs that were in maybe not the best financial position, and also in a criteria like this may have been 
some of the ones that struggled. So it was interesting that some of the ones that would have done better in this criteria actually looked to expand their their pool. And you know there was quite a few games played in Western Australia and in Adelaide, and you know there was a couple in New Zealand as well. Um, you know there was a St George played Wests in 1993 at Olympic Park in Victoria. You know like it's they they definitely were testing the waters. But it's unusual that the clubs that weren't testing the waters were the ones that were probably most likely to to struggle. You know, they weren't doing so well. For, for me, I, I'm actually not surprised at all because those teams that were successful in that era, you know, the likes of the Bulldogs um, and so forth, they were aspirational. Hmm. And I think that the reason why they were successful in the first place was because they were aspirational. So you, you see, they're leaders. They were forward-thinking, you know, so... The likes of Peter Moore as their CEO, he was always a go-getter and he was an entrepreneur of of sorts. So in my mind, those other clubs that were considered, I guess, so to speak, backwards um, and less likely to be thinking outside the square and taking their games to, you know, new locations, just to at least, you know, get a taste of of what a new market might look like. Mm. Um, I'm not surprised that they were the ones that were consistently failing. I do like your idea of not assessing them in terms of their um, football success in mm. you know such a very small time frame of one year or two years because you know the one that stands out for me is the Western Apes. So I consider them the yo-yo team mm-hmm. because there were years where they would absolutely get walloped game in and game out, but then you know Warren Ryan would come along and you know they'd, they'd make the semi-finals. Yeah, the form would dip again, and then you know there was a year I think where Tommy Rodonikus was coaching, and they, they kind of performed okay. So you know they, they were up and down, and you know you can't really assess them on one specific individual year. Yeah, yeah. So the the idea for this uh, is I've got five I've got five different criteria. So I do have results as one of them, uh, but it's over that period. It's over that five year period. So we're talking about uh, the five ones are their their home attendances. Uh, their results, uh, their finances, their junior base, and their stadium or stadia. Uh, so some of these I had to be a bit creative with, especially finances, because I, you know you just can't find with it, unless I unless I go through and and try and get a bunch of freedom of information and try and find the you know every Lee's clubs or every football clubs um, you know annual general report which I couldn't find online so uh, I didn't go into that much detail Um, but I've done the best I kind of I kind of could so if you sort of indulge me I'll just go through the five of them and just how I've done these assessments Um, so with attendance it's fairly easy uh, because I can we have a great resource online, which is the Rugby League Project, which has the home attendances of pretty much every game in that period, or has every game in that period. Um, and basically what I did is for each individual year, I looked at the average home attendance, and then I, and so I've got, I've got a, a ranking for each one of those amongst these, these clubs. So what I probably should do is, is highlight the clubs. So we've got... Uh, Balmain, Canterbury, Cronulla, East, Manly, North, Parramatta, Penrith, St George, Souths and West. So that's the 11 clubs that we've got there, the Sydney clubs. Just just so I, I need to put it out there because I know that when they were talking about criteria in the late 90s, 
they included Illawarra as one of the Sydney clubs, and I've decided that Illawarra is not a Sydney club. So, um, which you know, which I, I always found ridiculous because Newcastle wasn't a Sydney club either. If you're going to do it, you have to make all of New South Wales clubs, or you had to exclude Illawarra. So they're the eleven we're talking about, and we're going to, and four of those are going to be in trouble basically. Um, so what I've done is I've, I've I've got the home average from from each year from 91, 92, 93, 94. And then I've actually worked out uh, for each team that they played against what their highest home attendance was in that whole period. So, you know, if they play, just say, you know, Balmain and Canterbury. If Balmain and Canterbury played um, maybe three times at, at Leichhardt Oval, I chose the largest attendance they got against Canterbury and I made an assessment of that so basically a ranking that way and the way that that kind of works is so it's not just about um if i just do home attendances what what will tend to happen is that you will just it'll depend on who you play every year um and it's the other way it kind of gives you an idea of you get to play every single team so you know as you know if, if Parramatta is playing penrith more you know they're going to they're going to have you know Parramatta playing yeah, the Bulldogs, they're going to get higher attendances. But, you know, if you've got to go play one of the lowly sides that you don't get a very good attendance with, then if you're playing them more often, it's not really fair. So I tried to make it as fair as I could. Um, and basically, that's how the attendance worked. The attendance is pretty straightforward. Um, I think probably just so that everyone knows, I'm going to give you the list of where they kind of ranked. So when I ranked them. So for attendances... Uh, St George was number one, followed by Manly and Canterbury, and then Norths and Souths were the top five, and then it was Balmain, Parramatta, Easts, Penrith, Cronulla, and West. So, poor old West, very bad attendances, as we know. Like you know, if you look at those, look at those um, home attendances, not many people went to Campbelltown, basically. So, what I've then done is I've used that ranking, and that's gone into my overall results table. And basically, the team who had the highest was St George gets 11 points and the team at the bottom which is west gets one point so that's how it's going to work for each of them so that's where we are with attendance um the results is also another easy one obviously it's just you know how many wins they get in a season done the same way so we we split it up into every single season what i did do though is i gave a little bit of a a ranking so 1991 was just whatever number they got uh, but in 92, I gave them like a 5% increase and then it just kept increasing as we went to 94, which meant that clubs that were getting better as we got towards the end of the criteria were going to do better than clubs that were falling away. That kind of, it sort of, I think in my own mind, made, evens it out for myself. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think about that, Rami? I, I agree with that because when people make decisions, unfortunately, they're not as objective as we think we are um so there's always going to be that recency bias yeah. so I, I quite like that idea of leveraging and and yeah. adding that weighting uh towards the more recent year of what was it 94 of 94 yeah so so basically what happens there um the, these ones are fairly easy so i'll just go through it so the top team is canterbury there and then it's manly st oh, sorry manly north st george Penrith, West, East, Cronulla, Paramount, South and Balmain. So that's where, you know, you say West's had a bit of an up and down. That's that's correct. So so West had good seasons towards the start and then falling away towards the end. So, you know, that's sort of what pushes them up to the middle of that table. Um, 
and if we, you know, obviously teams like Parramatta and South and Balmain were very poor in that period. So that's why they're going to get less points in, for this criteria. Um, yeah, okay. So so that, that the first two are fairly straightforward. So attendance and results, that's, that's not a big problem. The next ones are where there's a little bit of creativity. So, I mean, obviously, if... This is just what how I've done the criteria. I'm not sure. I'm sure if someone else did it, they might have they might have assessed a bit differently. Like I said, with finances, I couldn't I couldn't get exactly the right finances. So what I tried to do um, there's a there's an article about 1989, and I know this is not in the same time period, uh, but it was an article which actually gave a good rundown of every club, how much the leagues club put in. How much gate receipts they had? It, it was it was very very good. So, what I've what I've done is I've worked out based on the results that they actually achieved for the 1989 season. I've used the num and, and based on the crowds they had in 1989 compared to the crowds they had in the other years that I'm assessing. I've I've used a bit of interpolation interpolation to work out what they what their crowd income like basically how much income they would have got from gate receipts so you'd imagine that you know if a team is averaging eight thousand one year and they got this crowd receipt or this gate receipt and then they average ten thousand they're going to get you know whatever 25 percent more or whatever that difference is so i've used those numbers to try and work out um how much they're going to get for a, like for their crowds uh and also based on where they finished in a table, how much maybe merchandise they would sell. They might sell more because they're doing better. Um, this is not perfect, but it's given me a, a it's given me some numbers that make sort of sense. So in terms of ranking for, for finances uh, for 1990, like around 94, um, I've got North St. George, St. West Canterbury, East South, Balmain, Penrith and Cronulla. I don't know if that's right or not, but it feels reasonably close to where it should be. What What do you think? Do you know anything about the finances of these clubs around the early 90s? It seems as though in this podcast, the Bulldogs are the flavour of, of the podcast. So <laughs> we'll speak about them. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, I would hazard a guess and say that the majority of the income that the Bulldogs derived was not from, uh, you know, the sale of tickets. Yeah. It wasn't from the gate, but rather it was derived off the back of, you know, what, what I might term the uh, tradies laptop or, or the poker machine, so to speak. Yes. So, yeah, I, I'd see gaming as the major source of revenue, particularly back then. Yeah. So what I, tried, what I tried to do, yeah, what I tried to do, Rami, is I actually removed the Leeds Club grants from the assessment because it seemed to me that, you know, if a lease club decided to, it, this this is a very good example of it actually, because in the 1989, well, in this assessment that I've I've gotten, and I, I have to thank Rugby League Project again, he's getting two shout outs tonight, um, because uh, he actually posted an article, I think it might have been last year, which was this this 1989 sheet, and it was it was very interesting because some of the clubs, the way that it worked, they they said whether they got gain, like whether they had profits or losses for the year. And I think it might have been, I'm fairly sure it was the Roosters that ended up with a small loss for the year because their Leagues Club put up $1.8 million. Now, um, I'm sure the Leagues Club could give more money to them if they wanted to, but 
you know, the way that they were doing it was they just wanted to make it look like they weren't losing a lot of money. So the Leeds club just pumped a bit more money into the football club. So I kind of wanted to remove the Leeds club as a component. And obviously, I said the poker machines, because, you know, in the end of the day, if it's just a battle between who has the best best Leeds club, then, you know, what are we doing? What are we bothering football for? Why don't we just have Leeds clubs? Yeah, agreed. If if you're going to look at just uh, stadium-based revenue, yeah, um, I, I would hazard a guess and say that the Bulldogs would have done very well because in that era they were getting some significant crowds at Belmont Sports Ground. Mm. The Manly Sea Eagles, uh, my club, yep. um, I, I'd say that they were performing quite well back then and, and were getting some reasonable crowds, and so therefore you know the game was decent good. Mm. And, and I'd also say the Parramatta Eels were because you got to keep in mind having that modern stadium in that era mm-hmm. on Paramount Stadium would have meant that they'd be able to charge probably slightly more considering that they would have had less hill space and more seating space which would have come at a slightly uh, well, I guess it would have come with a premium yeah. so um, I'd assume that they would have been able to make a bit more than mm. the likes of the Belmain Tigers and West Bank Plus. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly close with, with what your assessment was. I've got, for some reason, Wests are up a lot higher, but it might just be, you know, that's fine. I, okay, we'll give, at the end of the day, Wests aren't doing well in many other categories, so we'll, we'll, we'll give them a little bit of help here. Um, anyway. Yeah, I think we can all see where this is going for West fans, unfortunately, but that's this is probably the category they do the best at, so... You know, let's maybe we just leave it to that. Um, Okay, so the next one, the next one's another hard one, which is juniors. So, how do you assess a junior base? Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, Parramatta fan, and a lot of time you talk about we're all talking about local juniors and our got such great juniors, but when you actually look at how many of them actually grew up in the Parramatta district, it's it's not a heap amount, not a big amount. So, a lot of clubs who have perceived great juniors. Are usually people like clubs that go out to the country and pick up kids from there. They scout kids at low, at the younger age and they actually have them playing in their SG ball and their Harold Matthews and that sort of thing. But they're not local juniors. So, you know, I there's this discussion about what constitutes a local junior. And the way that I tried to work this out, and it's not, uh, by all means, not the greatest way again, but I think it, I think it works for this purpose is that I looked at every single player that played in any club throughout the whole of the 16 clubs um, for the, between 1991 and 1994. And then what I did was I counted the number of them who had, who had started their career, who had played their junior football, and I mean like SG Ball, Harold Matthews and the like, for each of these junior clubs. So it was basically a tally. And whoever had the most got the highest grade. There, a couple of them had ties, so I just gave them both the same points. Um, but basically, what it does is it it shows you which clubs foster the most foster the most junior talent. And so I'm counting, you know, I'm counting everyone. I'm counting for Parramatta. I'm counting Brett Kenny because he's a junior. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm saying anyone. It's not just people who come through in that time period. It was the whole of the New South Wales Rugby League, and. Obviously, people from you know people who were Canberra Juniors or Brisbane Juniors don't count for any of these clubs. It's just for these clubs. Um, and what ended up happening, and which is very interesting, is that it gave me a result which was what I was kind of expecting. 
it had Parramatta up on top. It had South and Penrith and Cronulla and Canterbury and Wests and, you know, all those kind of clubs and St. George right down to the bottom. And at the very bottom club was the Roosters Easts. Absolutely. And yeah. that, to me, feels correct. Um, you know, like lower down at clubs like Manly and Norths didn't ha- don't have as much of that. Um you know, a lot of a lot of North success in the '90s was from bringing players down from Newcastle. So none of those players counted as as juniors unless they came. You know, unless they didn't play for Newcastle's juniors first. You know what I mean? So it's a the idea is to try and try and work out who's actually fostering the most junior talent. Um, because realistically, if you move a club, to, you know, say so we so we pick on Wests at the moment. Say Wests is the club, one of the clubs that doesn't survive and there's a junior base out there those players will go somewhere else and this just shows that if you treat west like a country town it shows that they're more it's more likely Parramatta will come and sign some of their players and you know Souths will and Penrith and you know what I mean like it's it's less likely that they're gonna more of them are gonna go and join the eastern suburbs junior district because there really isn't a junior district there so that's that's how I've kind of assessed it, and I think it makes sense. So I'm going to run with it. Um, what, what do you think? So you kind of in agreement that sort of makes sense, that list? Yeah, I do. Um, one, one point I'll make is, and I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, hmm. is the concept of juniors and what constitutes a junior. Hmm. So there's no actual definition out there. So is it someone that was born in the region? Is it someone that started their football from 12, 15, 16? Yeah. 18 at what point are you considered a junior of a club so you know some of these country boys that came out from you know all parts of australia to particular sydney clubs and played their first junior representative football with you know the likes of Parramatta or Penrith, are they not considered the junior you yeah. see so this concept of development juniors what constitutes one really needs um a look at and maybe perhaps we need a bit of a clearer definition about it yeah. in my mind um, you know, if it's it's your debut club, okay. So debut club in the Harold Mats, it doesn't matter which which uh, level mm-hmm. we're talking about, all the way up until first grade. So long as it's the first uh, rugby league, you know, first grade jersey that you wear, then you're considered a junior of that particular club. So you know, mm-hmm. for me, the likes of the Roosters, when they go out and get some, you know, super talented Kiwi from Auckland, and you know, they come across at the age of sixteen. To me, he's a Roosters junior. Yeah, yeah, and that's how I took it. So that's exactly how how it worked. So I mean, East ended up with the least amount. They ended up with only eight players that were fro- that had played their junior football, their first junior football for one of their teams, and Paramount ended up with twenty five. So you know that that's that's a big difference. So you can see, and I mean the other clubs around. I mean Paramount twenty five, Southwell only one less than twenty four. So but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll explain the reason why Parramatta would have such a high amount there. Hmm. That's because in that era, they weren't exactly successful, mm-hmm. and so therefore they would have had to churn through a lot more players yeah. through their roster. So it, it'll be inevitable that they're going to have to go through a lot more players. Um, so that would slightly kind of uh, you know yeah. affect those sorts of numbers. Yeah, I, I I know it does, and I think that's probably the reason why Souths are pretty high on the list too. You know that they weren't successful either, so it maybe that is part of it. But I mean, generally, look, you could probably run that study for 
you know, he probably start in in 1981 and run right through to 1994 and and do it again, and they probably get different numbers. But I think generally you're always going to end up with the teams I've got at the top near the top and the teams at the bottom near the bottom. I don't think it's make yeah, a huge. It'll still difference. be a general indication. Yeah. So uh, that's fine. <sighs> Excuse me. Oh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, look, I, I think that's that's a good idea of, of what we're trying to get at because obviously this is not, you know, there's no clubs being executed tonight uh, as I'm recording this. We're not we're not going to knock on the door of, uh, of any of the clubs and say, hey, you don't exist anymore. Um, but for a general principle, I think that makes sense. Uh, the next one is, is something which is the Stadia. Uh, this one is very interesting because... I tried to work out how you assess a, st- uh, you know, a stadium against other stadiums, or stadia, I should say. I keep saying stadiums, which is incorrect. Uh, so what I what I did is I actually looked at... I found a really great website, which is the Aus, the, uh, Aus Stadiums website, which gave not only just the information about stadium, at, like stadia at the moment, but it actually gave information about what... You know, improvements had happened, and what they like a bit of a timeline almost. So I can tell in the early '90s where every one of these. Well, there's ten because the SFS was shared by two clubs, but I can tell where they kind of sit, and in terms of you know their capacity and what their record crowd was and all that sort of stuff. So what I've done is I've I've ranked them by capacities and I've ranked them by their record crowds because I figure. Uh, obviously, record New South Wales rugby league crowd, not like if they were hosting a, a Wallabies test or something. Um, so, doing those, basically, what I've ranked it on three things. Those are the first two: the capacity and the record. And the third one was the facility as as a facility itself. Like, if we're able to, you know, corporate sponsorship and be able to, uh, you know, basically the quality of the of the ground and the of that sort of stuff. Now. The first two are easy, the capacity and the record. That's really straightforward. Where I try, where I really fell down was trying to remember which which actual stadia were good and which ones weren't good in the in the early nineties. Uh, I actually put it out to Twitter, and I got quite a lot of differences. Like pretty much everyone had an opinion, and pretty much everyone's opinion was slightly different. So um, this what I've what I've ended up landing on for the facilities is obviously the SFS is the best in Sydney. There, there was no there was no other stadium that was anywhere close to it. Um, it's going to win the ranking no matter, what I do, no matter what we do. So that's definitely number one. Through my biased Parramatta eyes, I've got Parramatta Stadium as number two, but I think that's fair enough. Uh, I've got Caltex, which is Cronulla's home ground, as number three, and Penrith is number four. So when I put it out online on Twitter, most people agreed that that was pretty much the top four and then this is where it got really crazy because I just didn't know where to put them so on the advice of quite a few different people and just trying to put it together we ended up with North Sydney Oval, Brookvale, Belmore, Cogra, Leichhardt and Campbelltown last. What do you think, do you know, did you go to all the games in the 90s, in the early 90s, would you know which grounds were better facility wise Rami? Absolutely I did, Um, so I've got a slightly different viewpoint uh, to yours in terms of you know which stadium was was best um, I, i'm not looking at the quality of the seating i'm not looking at the corporate box facilities yeah but rather what i'm looking at is um its proximity to infrastructure 
Okay. So when I say infrastructure, I'm talking about, you know, train lines. I'm talking about access to, you know, cafes, pubs, clubs, you know, after the game, sort of, you know, recreational facilities and so forth. So what happens is that when you have proximity to this type of infrastructure, you're naturally going to have bigger crowds. When you're lost in suburbia, like in Campbelltown Oval, um, like, you know, Penrith's Stadium out there, even Cronulla's, mm-hmm. um, you know, Endeavour Field, I think it was called back in that era. Yeah. Um, it, it was always going to be prone to having smaller crowds because, you know, the majority of your fans would, would, be, would see it as a bit of a trick to get there. And so mm-hmm. all that you're going to get is your locals. Um, so, you know, historically, um, stadiums have always been successful when they've been located within proximity to, you know, major infrastructure. That's why Parramatta Stadium is done well, mm-hmm. and that's why Bank West currently is doing so well because of, you know the access to all of those um, you know it's almost like a gentrified space out out where Bank West is you know mm-hmm. you got all those cafes and um, it's become an uber trendy kind of place to be. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so if you were doing this list with these ten, what I'm just putting you on the spot, where what would you sort of change from mine? So I'm I'm SFS Parramatta uh, Endeavour Field. Penrith, North Sydney Oval, Brookvale, Belmore, Cogra, Leichhardt, and Campbelltown. I'm presuming yeah, I, like, you've... I like your list. Besides yeah. the um, Sharks and Panthers, I, I put them almost um, towards the bottom. Um, e- even in terms of their away crowds, the, the Sharks and Panthers have never yeah. done well. They're not a, a strong drawing. Uh, both of them aren't strong drawing brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, pe- people aren't, aren't as excited to watch their team play the Sharks as opposed to their team playing you know, Manly, uh, yeah. Parramatta, the Bulldogs, uh, yeah. even the Okay. All right. Well, I mean, look, I can, I can change it around. Do you, so you would think that Caltex and and Penrith, uh, Panthers, whatever it was called, would be what to, towards the Cogra sort of point around eighth. Yeah, about there. Yeah, that's where I'd be placing them. Okay. Uh, particularly in that era, if you remember, you know, their their facilities um, that they weren't what they are today. Yeah. Uh, not not to say that today's version is is that much better. Um, yeah. But you know, it's it's acceptable. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be really tricky here, and I'm just gonna see what ha- effect it happens if I move. So if I move North Sydney Oval up to number three, Manly up to number four, and then Belmore up to number five. Let's just find that. I'm doing on the run here. This is exciting, exciting for everyone listening to me doing this. Uh, so then, let's let's leave Cogger at eight. So let's go. Uh, which one do you think is better, Penrith, home ground, or um, Cronulla's? Just on the spot. I'll say the Sharks. Okay, so let's give Cronulla number six, and let's give Penrith number seven. Okay, so it makes it does make a it does make a little bit of a difference. It pushes, yeah, it pushes them down, not quite as far, but it pushes them down. So I wonder. I'm just gonna have a bit of a cheeky look here. Okay. You know what? It doesn't. In the overall things, it doesn't make a huge, huge difference. Um, so I'm happy to run with it. I'm going to use those numbers. Um, it because what basically what does happen there um, is that the clubs like we're assessing grounds here, so it doesn't make much difference. The top one's still going to stay as the SFS and Paramount's still going to be number two, but it pushes ones like Belmore and Brookvale up a bit more, and it pushes those ones down. What it does in the overall, and it doesn't make a huge difference. I think one club flips over the top of another, but that doesn't make doesn't really matter because they they're both in the danger zone. So I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to worry about that. So basically, that's the five criteria, and we've we've got a general idea of where everyone sort of sits. So, I mean, I, I don't want to have a big drum roll, but basically, our f- the top five, the safe teams, the ones you'd say were definitely safe, uh, are Manly, Canterbury, St George, North, and Parramatta. So that's your top five in my assessment. It basically what happens, um, what has happened there is Parramatta were number four, but North Sydney Oval jumping up brought North Sydney to actually the same points. So in my point system, it's uh, basically the highest you can score is 11, um, and there's five categories. So Manly ended up with 42, Canterbury with 41, North, sorry, St George with 38. North with 37, Paramount with 37. So it doesn't really matter. They're, they're both, to my point of view, they're both going to be safe. Your, your top five is not going to be in, in trouble here. So then we get to our bottom section. So the next two are South and Penrith. So if we just ran this criteria straight as a criteria, the four clubs that you would be eliminating would be Easts, West, Cronulla and Balmain. Um Look, I don't know what you think about that, but in terms of performing clubs at the time, the only one that stands out as a, as a big sore thumb is Eastern Suburbs. I, I don't think Eastern Suburbs would ever be allow themselves to get like relegated or, or you know, not allowed into the competition. I, I don't know what you think about West Cronulla and Balmain, but I don't think any of them were were too you know, too high up in the in the pecking order to to be in trouble like this. Well, it's not a surprise. I mean, the the Tigers and Magpies ended up merging, so mm. it's no surprise that they, you know, they're on that sort of ranking. Mm. Um, and in terms of the Roosters, so the Roosters in the early nineties—that's the era that we're talking about—they mm. weren't as successful as they later became mm-hmm. in the late nineties and even all the way up until today. So um, I'm not surprised that they they ranked where they ranked. Um, but yeah. you know, with with these with these things. It's important to keep in mind that sometimes the figures give you, um, you know, where a club has been and what their results were, mm-hmm. but it does not tell you strategically what the potential is for yes. a particular team. So, for instance, if you're going to rub out the Penrith Panthers, strategically that would not be a smart idea because the chances are that Sydney was always going to grow westwards. It, it can't grow east, otherwise you end up in the ocean. Yep. So. You know, strategically, you needed to expect that Sydney was going to grow in that direction and therefore would require a team to service the population that's there. Yes. Um, but, you know, the likes of Dalmain, um, you know, it, it's it's an inner city location that's, yes, it's gentrified, but in a sense that can be a negative for rugby league because when you get the, you know, the super cool trendies that live, you know, um, the single life, that's not so much going to, you know, drive crowds as, you know, the family-centred um, sort of, uh, you know, customer base that, you know, the other teams in, in Western Sydney have. Yeah, that's very true. Well, just looking at those four, so if we're looking at those four clubs as being in danger, now one way they can save themselves is by trying to relocate out of New South Wales. Uh, and another way is they can try and amalgamate. Now, they can amalgamate with each other or someone else higher on the list. They could also look at trying to, like I sort of said before, you know, maybe trying to join one of the outer Sydney teams or trying to join one of these new teams coming in. Just looking at this list, I see Cronulla there and I think, well, 
you know, we went through that whole thing with St. George Illawarra and Illawarra being the junior partner and things like that. Um, I think if Cronulla goes and knocks on Illawarra's door and says, we're happy to be called the Illawarra Sharks uh, as long as you give us a game or two in Cronulla, I think that, or even the Southern Sharks, I think that might have really pushed that forward. Um, you know, I don't know what West and Balmain do because West and Balmain merging don't think really helps them because if I put their numbers together, they still are going to be in this list, like at the bottom. So I don't think, you know, it, I think the, the biggest thing would be maybe Balmain considers going and talking to Parramatta and maybe West considers going and talking to Canterbury, you know, or do both of them look... I know Balmain were thinking Central Coast, but I don't think that's going to save them. I don't know what the other options are. I think at this point, just thinking now, Rami, what it might be a good idea is to maybe jump across to what you were going to talk about and we're going to try and merge these together. Um, Because your idea coming to me was um, to talk about the defunct clubs and you know their success and and how they may be successful today so maybe we can find a place that perhaps you know the roosters or magpies or tigers might want to you know maybe they want to move to there instead rather than these clubs that were created you know through the super league war um did you want to just go through uh your defunct clubs analysis and we can maybe have a think about that as well yeah, absolutely. Just just before I do, I'll, I'll make a point about the West Magpies. I'd see their best fit as connecting with the Bulldogs mm. in you know a Liverpool type of location. Um, when when you talk about amalgamating teams, the most important aspect is not the colours, but rather the merging of the two cultures into one. They, they have to fit each other and they have to complement each other. I don't view the Steelers and Dragons as complementing each other. Uh, I do like the idea of, you know, coastal sharks or southern sharks where you're combining um, the Illawarra region with, with Cronulla. It makes sense geographically, but more importantly, it, it would have been a far better cultural fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, hence my idea in terms of the West Magpies and Canterbury Bulldogs. Um, I, obviously, the Bulldogs' name would have taken over. But um, it would have serviced that region of Southwest Sydney. Yeah, um, definitely. It, it, in terms of those uh, defunct clubs, and I've got a bit of a ranking for them, and, and their ranking is kind of based on um, their historical win rates combined with their home crowd averages, um, just a bit of a, a hodgepodge of, of, of various factors. And, um, you know, I'm not surprised to see. Uh, the Newtown Jets and Balmain Tigers um, ranked to, towards the very bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Balmain Tigers have been relatively successful on the pitch. So their overall win rate was over 53%, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're talking about, um, you know, 460-odd uh, games, um, you know, at, played at home, 53%, is, it's not a bad strike rate. But then we're talking about a club that's, you know, consistently spoken of when you know, when we're speaking about, you know, uh, removing teams from the competition. So it shows that they've never really been able to capitalise on on their success. Um, Northern Eagles, I've got there. I know that kind of sits in a different time era. Yeah, um, but, uh, yeah, that, so their uh, historical win rate was um, 40% at home. And, um, yeah, I've got them down towards the bottom. The, the better performing teams in my mind, the ones that would still be around if they were around, 
don't know if that makes sense. I know what you mean. Yeah, they would have yeah. been successful if they were still around. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I'd say that the Crushers would have been doing quite well at this point in time, you know, being that uh, extra Brisbane franchise, which you know, we're looking at right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the Western Reds, Adelaide Rams, because you're speaking about, you know, a major city. And despite the fact that people say, well, they don't have that many supporters there, you'll still be able to access that support, even if it's not, you know, your hardcore rusted on base. You're still going to get that support. You look mm-hmm. at the Melbourne Storm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're the second most followed team on social media across the entire nation of any code. So, you know, Melbourne was never considered, you know, a hotbed of rugby league support, but you're still going to get that, um, you know, uh, following. So North Sydney Bears, I've got quite high up on the list, so I think that they would have done well um, just ahead of the West Magpies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. So, I mean, I think if you look at that, then, uh, you know, the the future for these clubs is, is kind of clear. So, you know, I know, like, like I said, you know, the clubs that that didn't really toy with with doing any you know basically apart from south who who in this criteria have survived the other three that are that didn't take any home games in that 91 to 94 period away from their home ground uh is you know Cronulla, Balmain and West and they're you know three of the bottom four and and in saying that East took one game against Newcastle away to New Zealand and I don't think they were ever trying to relocate to New Zealand. I think that was just uh, maybe a bit of a money grab. So, you know, that they, they never really toyed with it. And you think that they, I think they probably should have, even just to make a bit more money, you know. Look, I know that Balmain always talked about, we'll move to the Central Coast. I don't know whether maybe Balmain's better move might have been to trying to move you know, to maybe they tried to move to Perth, maybe they tried to move to Melbourne. I mean, I know Melbourne but Tigers is a problem. Melbourne yeah. was the game back then. So that they did actually take a game. I've got a distinct memory of them uh, playing the Broncos, and I remember they got mm. whipped that day, and it might have been a Saturday afternoon game. So yeah. that fixture was played at the old Olympic Park, uh, or was mm-hmm. it off the side? I think it was Carlton's home ground. I think it was that, uh, I forget the name. Yeah, I couldn't find it in that period, so maybe it was in 95 or maybe 96, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I think the go for the Tigers was was Melbourne and, yeah, strong brand name, you know, being the Tigers, they Mm. would have run into some trademarking issues. There's Uh, been a lot of issues with the basketball team down there, but that's fine. Um, That's the only reason why I thought maybe that wouldn't have worked as well, but, you know, I, I see Melbourne Tigers sounds like a great idea. Um you know, the Magpies, it's very hard with Wests having that Magpie moniker because you've already got a Melbourne AFL team with Magpies. Yeah. You try and move them somewhere else. You know, Adelaide Magpies, no. Perth Magpies, no. Like, it doesn't make sense. Um, I feel like Eastern Suburbs would rather have, have maybe tried to merge than tried to, to in- relocate as well. Uh, if you give them these numbers, and as as this is happening, you're saying, "Look, guys, you're in the bottom four. You you're going to be in trouble." You know, I know that the East tried to merge with St George, you know, in '96 or '95, '96. So maybe the talks with St George come forward a little bit earlier, and maybe we end up with that that uh, St George and East merger happening for the '95 season rather than them talking about it in '95. Because I know that. I know that's a possibility, and that removes one of the Sydney clubs. And you know, we've already removed one with Cronulla if they go and talk to Illawarra. Um, you know, does Balmain move to Melbourne? And if Balmain moves to Melbourne, does 
one of those four teams coming in not get the license? Does the Bel- does the Melbourne Tigers become one of the four expansion clubs in '95? It's it's hard to know, but that's a possibility. And then I, unfortunately for West, I just don't see anywhere else from the go unless they merge with with Canterbury, and you know it would have to be on Canterbury's terms because you know Canterbury weren't going to just give up anything at all. They probably would just said we can have your juniors and you can we can maybe put a magpie on the sleeve a bit like you know the tigers do and that might be all they get the canterbury bulldogs in that era were the prestigious team of sydney yeah. so when it came to buying players and even sourcing them from from special places so you know the likes of gary connolly and uh, mm. john timu from across the globe jonathan davis is another one that comes to mind so mm. yeah it definitely would have been on the bulldogs terms um, in terms of the Roosters, I can't imagine them amalgamating with another club, but rather relocating. And the reason why I say that is because their club's always been run by entrepreneurs mm. and they won't back down. They, they see a vision. They have a vision for you know, uh, where they want the club to be in the future mm-hmm. and they'd be willing to take a risk, as all entrepreneurs do, um, you know, to, to yield a, a better return, so to speak. So I'd view the Roosters as more likely to want to you know, connect with a new market like Perth and Adelaide yeah. and uh, merge with the Dragons. There was some chatter about them, uh, you know, connecting with the Dragons at one point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that didn't amount to very much at all. No, it, it got kiboshed um, by St. George supporters finding out about it. So that's that's where yeah. that kind of went. Save Our Saints. Yes, all the Save Our Saints guys, yeah. So, look, at maybe, maybe you're right and then... You know, then where does that leave the criteria if they move? This is the thing I don't know what happens because, you know, you can say, well, there's only seven Sydney licences and then if someone moves out of Sydney, do they automatically get in or do they have to get assessed against the other four? So maybe what happens is, you know, wherever East's move to, perhaps they, you know, maybe they move, try and move to Perth as well, maybe if it's Adelaide then all of a sudden it's, well, there's five teams and we have to assess these five potential franchises coming in and which four get the get the nod. Um, then they're in a lottery at that point. They've, you know, they've got a good chance, but they're in a, there's one of those, you know, clubs is not going to make it. So, you know, and if the same thing happens with Balmain moving down to Melbourne, all of a sudden there's six teams trying to fit into four spots and, do we not? Do we end up not getting the Crushers or the Cowboys or the Reds because we've got a team in Melbourne and a team in Adelaide? Well, that, that's where it comes down to the New South Wales Rugby League making a decision and a call mm. and clear about what direction they want. Would they be seeking less teams in Sydney or rationalising the entire competition? Yeah. So you know that's where they'd have to be clear now, knowing rugby league. It would be a very arbitrary decision by a leader mm-hmm. rather than, you know, a proper independent feasibility study to determine, you know, what's best for the game. Yeah. Um, I, I would suggest that it would just be one powerful figure that's going to turn around and say, that's it, we're getting rid of two Sydney teams. Well, look, I think, I think if, they, if they said to them, if you're in the bottom four and you relocate to a feasible location, then you'll be automatically admitted. And if that's – if we're following – the situation there and maybe they maybe they also say only two of you can relocate somewhere else the other two have to either amalgamate or you're excluded um and then we end up with 
I hate saying Melbourne Tigers, but we end up with the Melbourne Tigers. Maybe they'd be called the Southern Tigers, just so they don't have the copyright issue. And and maybe Tigers, the yeah. Tigers. <laughs> I don't know. The um yeah. Uh, look, maybe they can move to Geelong instead of Melbourne. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then yeah, and then look the uh you know the Roosters move to Adelaide and become the Adelaide Roosters, and we end up with an eighteen team competition. So. You know, and that that's, takes a lot of pressure off Sydney because you're down to seven clubs. You know, I'd obviously say that, you know, the Balmain and East should play some home games in Sydney as well, just for their fans. But, you know, if if that had happened in 94, 95, um, just from your point of view, how successful do you think... I mean, obviously, this is going to have all, huge implications for what happens in Super League, but just assume that Super League's not a factor. How successfully do you think... Uh, Easts and Balmain would be with their relocations? Not very. Now, okay. the reason why I say that is because uh, I, th- I think even to bookend this podcast and go back to the very beginning, we were talking about um, the clustering of, of, of teams in a particular era. If you think about other industries like restaurants, uh, mm. s- certain regions of Sydney, you know, might be the inner city, uh, might be Leichhardt, um, across town, you'll notice that particular restaurants tend to cluster around each other. Now, that does not dilute their customer base, but rather it grows it. And the reason why is because that area develops a bit of a reputation and so it becomes a destination point. For, you know, whenever anyone wants the Italian, they're, they're thinking Leichhardt. So mm-hmm. when the next restaurant opens up in Leichhardt, that, that actually lures even more people to the area. It, it's not like it dilutes the customer base. So if, if the New South Wales Rugby League maintains the same amount of teams in Sydney, that actually builds on rivalries. It, it, it actually makes the competition a lot more pure and it actually strengthens, um, you know, the code in the city. When Once you start diluting that passion for the game by sending teams like the Roosters and kind of, you know, diluting their identity by calling them the Adelaide Roosters and maybe adding a splash of a different colour on their jersey, mm. all of a sudden you're, you're diluting that passion and that's going to harm the competition. Ultimately, when, when, when passion dies, uh, it, you cannot monetize that particular sport as much. So, uh, uh, yeah, to, to answer your question, I would suggest that, uh, no, it wouldn't have been very successful. Okay. So, so basically, for your, your sort of summary is that you're glad that they didn't take up any of the Bradley Report recommendations yeah so okay so maybe i know there's a lot of people sitting out there saying geez i wish that we would have you know listened to these special reports saying we had to move some teams out of sydney or or amalgamate or wherever but you know your analysis there or your you know your opinion there is that it probably would have hurt the competition more than helped it let let me give you this hypothetical Mm -hmm. so let's say for instance the bulldogs have been um uh, you know, asked to leave the competition. Uh, and so, therefore, we've got less teams in Sydney. So now Parramatta has a broader ge- geographical base. They mm. can expand into the huge market that is Bankstown. Mm. Does that in any way make Parramatta a stronger club? Or does the fact that they maintain having a rival life with Bulldogs actually strengthen them? Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? It's yeah, the rivalry that, that builds, builds the code. Um, so Parramatta is actually a stronger club for having the Bulldogs around. Mm-hmm. than, you know, having that void space. That's that's very true because you can't have a game against a rival if they're not there anymore. So, yeah, yeah no, it's that's that makes perfect sense. So, look, it, it's a fun little thing to look and see what might have happened, but 
it's kind of a good thing that it didn't actually happen because you know although i do i i love sort of talking about relocations and mergers and that sort of things i don't think any of them you know from what we've talked about maybe they don't they don't work out for people and and like i said you know we were talking about 11 clubs in 1992 and they were saying it's too many but then the population of sydney has increased so much and we've actually have lost two clubs we're down to nine now so i mean i don't think we ever should have more than the nine we have now but if some of them naturally die through attrition that's fine but i i do i take your point that you know arbitrarily moving clubs just because they've had a bad five-year period is probably not the best idea. Yeah, so whenever they speak about uh, relocating teams, instantly the first thought that comes to most people's minds is, well, which clubs are suffering the most? Which clubs are the worst off at this point in time and they're the best candidates to move? Mm -hmm. Not for a second thinking that the best candidate to move is actually the best performing club. And the reason why is because you want your best, most powerful club to actually make an impact in the new market. Because what's the point of sending them across? If your aim is to actually improve the code, grow the game with new fans, you need a proper, powerful club. Mm. So yeah. if you're going to send out your poorest club, if you're going to send out the, the weakest team, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to be a half-hearted attempt at trying to you know, capture the Perth market or the Adelaide market. So yeah, it, I, I find it strange quite often, you know, um, when we speak about these this relocation debate and expansion and so forth, people tend to speak about things with, with old school thinking, but yeah. not actually looking at the figures and for you know the, the future potential of where you want the code to be and what you want it to look like in ten years. How about that? You set you set that date of ten years in advance and then you work backwards from Yep. No, I, I totally agree. All right, well I think that's a I think that's a good wrap up actually. We've we've summarized ourselves quite nicely. Uh, and I think maybe we just move we just move forward saying that, you know, if the Bradley report would have been implemented in the way that we sort of talked about tonight, uh, it I mean there would have been huge repercussions because, you know, there's there's all kinds of things. And just just say Balmain does move to Melbourne, then you know there's not going to be any Melbourne Storm. There's already a Melbourne team. There. There's no point having two teams in Melbourne. Um, I don't know what it does to the Super League war because part of the issue that I think Brisbane. Uh, and Canberra had was the power base in Sydney and I think if you moved you, know, you deleted two of the Sydney clubs or merged them in and then you moved two of them out of Sydney the power base in Sydney is not as strong as well so I don't know if it encourages Super League more or it it stops it from happening I mean there's so many moving pieces in this that it'd be almost impossible to know but I know one thing is you wouldn't end up with the Adelaide Rams if you got already the Adelaide Roosters and you wouldn't end up with the Melbourne Storm if you already had the Melbourne Tigers or the, whatever Tigers we're, we're calling them. Um, so there'd be some huge changes in history, but I don't know if they'd all be positives. Yeah, most definitely. So I guess what we can take out of this is the fact that there's a lot of people that care a lot about their, their teams, their clubs. They have a lot of passion for it. And um, I think the important thing for administrators to, to think about is to not make these decisions based on the current exact scenario that we're in today, but rather look ahead at the potential. Yeah, all right. Perfect. All right, well, thanks for joining me, Rami, and uh, good luck with your new role with Manly. Uh, even though I'm a Paramount supporter, I will wish you good luck with Manly. Um, don't make them too powerful, please. 
<laughs> you're very kind. I wish I had that sort of uh, influence, but um, I'll, I'll take the compliment anyway. Okay, thanks, mate. I'll talk to you later. See you, Dave. <laughs>